Hey folks, welcome to Financial Intelligence, podcast number five. This is Justin Spencer-Young here, just to let you know about what you can expect in this podcast. Today, Sean and I are talking about some investing basics. So far, we've covered the principles of debt, we've covered uh, transacting with your bank, and this is part three of that series, if you like, which is looking at how do we save and grow the money that we've got. So this is quite a short piece. When I say short, it's about 30 minutes. And there's a part of this which I cover in a lot more detail in upcoming podcasts. So look out for that. If you're a first-time listener, well, welcome to the show. What Sean and I talk about are issues that relate to financial intelligence. And there's so much that can be put into that basket. So we've got a great lineup of content coming to you in the future. If you want to spread the news, spread the good news about financial intelligence and growing our financial capability, we welcome that you tell someone else about our podcast. We're looking to grow our listenership. We're looking to get more South Africans to be financially intelligent. And that starts with each one of us taking responsibility for our own finances. So welcome to our podcast and enjoy your listening. So Justin, I think this brings us to the third leg of the stool, which is now that we've managed our debt properly and we're managing our transactional banking to good effect, we should have some money left over for investing. What do you think? So I think that's the next obvious step is to how do we keep what we've got and how do we take what we've got and help it grow and compound it and make it worth more so that when we get to 55 or whatever age we're aiming, we can retire in the lap of luxury. So I was always encouraged to make my money work rather than me work for my money. Does, does that resonate with you? Yeah, I would, I would go a step further. And I would say, how can you make, make your money your slave? Right. Really make it work for you hard. Because the reality is, while well, you're asleep, it can be working for you. It never has to sleep. And that, to me, sounds like, sounds like putting it to work in the context yes. of slave. Right. And of course, there are different places that you can put this money and there are different returns that you can get. But perhaps we can just talk about some common principles across all investment types. It reminds me of a story. And in fact, when I was in Investec, we used the story as a, as a, as a foundation of an advert for Investec fixed investments and also uh, wealth management. So if you can imagine Investec, the black and white, and there's this whole wealth management story and we chose a, an old story of the rice and the chessboard have you heard of that story justin oh yes uh, so that is that is uh, every day uh, doubling your grains of rice one today that's, two tomorrow four the next day eight the next day and which one ends up to be more and it's quite unintuitive isn't it it is unintuitive and in fact the, the storyline is that there was a smart guy and he had an invention of some sort. The king said to him, I'll tell you what, this invention is of such a high quality that you could name your price. What, how would you like to be paid? He said, your highness, I'd like to be paid in grains of rice. He said, really? He said, yes. And he said, look at the chessboard in front of you. All I want you to do is I want you to start with one grain of rice in the first square. And every time you move to an adjacent square until you've covered all 64 squares, each time you move, you need to double the amount of rice. And the king says to him, are you sure that's what you want to do? I mean, is that a reasonable return on your investment? He says to the king, why don't we wait and see? And of course, the end of the story is fantastic because what happens is 
every time you double, by the time you get to the 64, you're at the power of 64, isn't it? And so if you look at that in the context of our conversation, this is an extreme form of compounding. It's, it's, it's 200%. But the results were eventually that the king could never pay because this equaled 18 quintillion grains mm. of, of, of rice. And so the kingdom could never pay him. The story has a very sad ending. I don't know if you know the ending of the story, but the king said, well, you know what? You are far too smart for me. I think I'll have you beheaded. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made me look like a fool. Eh? And, yes, and ego exactly. got in the way and that was the result, yes. But this for me is one of the great modern miracles is this concept of compounding. And uh, I thought perhaps we could just start with your own your own sense, Justin, and story around compounding, because I know you've tried to make compound interest your friend. Yes, so the wise words of Albert Einstein, I think are suitable here, where he said it is the most famous or most brilliant human discovery is the power of compounding. And the sad part is so few people know of its power. And the problem with compounding is that it takes time and time is your friend so as you said on the chessboard it took 64 squares now if 64 squares are 64 years in this day and age of instant return that doesn't add up for many people they say well you know i can't contemplate well, let's not use the number of 64 let's just use the number of 20 years i can't contemplate 20 years from now and putting money aside for then now is it's not what I want to do. I'd rather have the instant return or gratification of whatever my money can buy me today. So I think that is the biggest challenge that we face here is that it's too easy for someone to say, I don't have enough. Do you know how, cost, how much it costs to live today? And I need that money now. And in reality, there's a very, very simple formula to becoming insanely wealthy. And that formula is live below your means so that you spend less than you earn and as much as you can invest it in some investment that produces returns that you can compound over 20 or more years. If you follow that formula, you will have more than you can ever want. Now, how do you get someone who is living hand to mouth and when I say hand to mouth, it doesn't mean you're living in poverty. They might be earning 20, 30, 40,000 rand a month, but at the end of the month, they've got nothing. How do you have a conversation with someone like that so that they are brought around to the way of thinking that says you need to be investing and investing wisely over the long term? That's the challenge, I think. Now, Justin, would it be fair for me to ask you to tell the story that I've heard you tell before? And I think you, you started it by giving your daughter advice on the difference between consumption and investment. If I remember correctly, she, she wanted to, to buy a cat and you used that as a metaphor or as the, the vehicle for understanding what it really means in real rands and cents to do what you've just described. I think that's a good place to go to here. I find that using an analogy in a classroom environment where people can relate to what I'm telling them, they can connect with that and they can personalize it and therefore take action. And I think that's what we're looking for is we're looking for people to take action to go and do something that will better their lives. So first of all, I must give credit on the story to the person who originally told it to me. 
and he's a friend of ours. His name is Chris Miller. And I was sitting in a, a corporate finance elective way back in 2002, where he originally told the story which he named Kill the Cat. And he did it in a very different way because he was using a spreadsheet to show the power of compounding. And he was using some very visual data in order to express this. And it was at that time when I realized, wow, I need to do this. So it was in Chris telling me the story that spurred me to take action. And I've taken that story and I've reworked it. I've put it in a way that relates to my life. And people ask me, is the story true? And I, I say, yes, it is. So very simply, it goes like this. My daughter, Megan, she, she'll be 15 this year, but this took place probably five years ago where she came to me uh, and to Jill, of course, and she said to us, uh, said, Dad, Mom, can we get a kitty cat? Which both of us thought was a very reasonable request for a eight or nine-year-old. But in my mind, I recognized we really had a cat, which required regular feeding. And I didn't want to be spending whatever it was to, to be feeding this cat for the next, uh, how many years? How long does a cat live for? We can make up a number. <laughs> so, so that's where it started. And I, I simply said to Meg, well, you know, what does this thing cost? What does it cost to feed it? And how long is your cat going to live for? Because I was doing the maths. I was thinking, mm. what money am I going to spend? And putting money into the cat versus putting money into the market was my trade-off. And I, I really wanted Megan to recognize that buying a cat requires you to give up something. You might see it as the joy of having a pet or an animal in your life. But at that age, it was important for me that she learned the lesson of a trade-off. So even back then at, at eight years old, I, I managed to do a little simple spreadsheet for her to, to show the power of this and, and the value of money and how much money we would have to give up over the life of a cat in order for her to have a cat. So I, I tell the story often where in the classroom, it, it helps to have a little bit of humor in it. I really want to show that I don't want to deprive Megan of having a cat through saying no to her and giving her daddy issues for the rest of her life because her dad denied her a cat. Really the power of her changing her mind through being given some data. And I gave her a choice after we had done the maths. I said to her, Meg, I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to have the cat or would you rather have this money? Look what this money could buy you. And in her understanding of what that money could buy her, for her, it was a very simple choice. She said, gee, I've already got a cat. I would rather have what that money can buy. So she chose the money over the cat, which was for me a great choice because she understood the lesson. And at the same time, it was a, was a burden because now I promised to, to give her the money, which meant <laughs> <laughs> I needed to come up with it. And the story is about how I started putting aside money for Megan, investing it in the market. I started with a thousand rand a month in an account, which is in her name. And that money is invested directly into the, into the top 40 shares on the JSE every month. And I think now it's worth about 60,000 Rand. And that was, that's over the last few years. Uh, and I intend to continue doing that until such stage as she, she uh, will take that over and start her own contributions to it. So I challenge so many people to, to ask themselves, what if your parents did this for you at age eight until age 21 or 24 or whenever you had your first job? What advantage would that have been for you? And I think that spurs a lot of people into action, if not for themselves, then for their children. 
So Justin, you've, you've made that sound remarkably easy. It's a thousand rand a month into a product that's available online direct to the consumer. Is that correct? I'm glad you said to me, made it sound very easy because actually it is. And I think the community of financial service investments in general uh, has an invested interest in, in making financial investments sound as complicated as possible. Like you're investing your money in the JSE and you could lose it and there's risk and you need to be clever to know whether you should be investing in ShopRite or Sassel. And all these, let's call it hot airs, is created around the risk of investment. And I'm not a believer in that. I'm a believer in the fact that it should be very easy to get your money into the market. And also that this is, while there's certainly risk, there's a higher risk if you don't do it. And that's the message I want to I want to get across is the risk of not investing your money in the markets versus the risk of doing it. So how do we do it easily? Well, there are a number of products that allow us to access the market. Generally, these days they're called exchange traded funds, ETFs for short, which are listed on the market and they trade in real time. And you can go to a number of companies in order to get a, an ETF product. There's a website called ETFSA, I think it's .co.za, where these products are listed by the dozens and they are produced by First Rand and ABSA. I'm sure Standard Bank and Nedbank also have their products. I'm a fan of one specific company because they've been around the longest and that's the Satrix, S-A-T-R-I-X. And the product that I use there is the Satrix 40. And that's, that's the top 40 shares on the JSE. And it's as simple as opening a bank account. Got to get fecid. They want to know who you are and where you live. What's the source of your funds? So you need to disclose that this is not coming from any, what shall we call it? Illicit activity. There we go. That's a great way to describe it. And, and how much you want to contribute. And there will be a debit order on your account every month. And you can access these statements online to see how things are going. But my view is you put your money in there and you don't need to look at it. The markets will go mm. up, the markets will go down. You'll read in the news that, you know, this week that Dow Jones went down 10% and it's all panic and so on. Yeah, those things will happen. But in the long run, you can work on a number of around about 18% per annum. Wow. And, and, that's the, and that's the ball game. You want to do that year in, year out reinvesting every single dividend that you receive and just take your hands off the wheel. Now, Justin, I'm assuming there's, I mean, you've come up with a number that makes a lot of sense for you. Maybe you can just give us some some sense of how you arrived at that number of 18%. So I went back and collected some data that goes back to, gee, you can go back to the 1950s on the JSE. But I, I show data in the classroom that goes back to the 1980s because invariably there's no one in my class who was around in the 1950s. And often if I talk about the 1980s, there's, there might be someone in my class, often there is, who, who was around in the 1980s. And I like to talk about this concept that I use of, of my time machine, which is if we were to take some money back with us in our time machine and go back to 1980, and invested in the markets there, most people can get their mind around, okay, well, 1980 is 37 odd years ago. I, you know, this is the, the darkest times if you want in South Africa. Let's go back there quickly, put our money in the market, and then come back 37 years and see how it's performed. But it is based on 
total return data of the JSE. So, so you're telling me it's over that period of time, the compound average growth of my share portfolio would have been 18% on average for those 30 or 40 years. That's right. Now, there would have been some years in which it would have been minus 40. In fact, that probably mm -hmm. would have happened four times over that yeah. period. And there'll be some years when it was flat and some years when, when it was negative and other years it was 25 and 30% positive. So when you take it over time, 37 years in this case, the cumulative average growth rate is 18%. And that's made up of two parts. That's made up of share price growth and that's made up of dividends. And you might say the share price growth, yeah, dividends reinvested. You need to do that to get the full 18% return. And you might say that the, the share price growth was 16% and the dividend was 2%. Uh, you could also say it's 15% uh, share price, 3% dividend. It kind of fluctuates. It's not an exact science okay. the whole way. It's on average. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And uh, just tell me quickly around when you talk about the Satrix 40, I mean, you've discovered something very interesting about why you only need to be exposed to the top 40 shares. Yes. So the top 40 shares, in essence, represent 84% of the value of, let's call it, all the shares on the JSE. So you only have to go and identify 40 companies to really get exposure to the bulk of the South African market. And why would you want exposure to the South African equities market? Well, that number of 18% is, is the one reason. Those returns are, are meaningful. Uh, look, the challenge is, you know, with the 18% growth rate in the market also comes with that high inflation in South Africa. So if we're sitting at, at 6%, well, that only means a 12% real growth. And I think that's perhaps the important piece here is that you want the real growth because your money's value is being eroded by inflation as it goes along. So because we're a slightly higher inflationary environment, we should expect a better return. But that 18% or even a real rate of return of 12 to 13%, how does that stack up if in terms of world equity markets? So a most obvious comparison is to go across to the US since it is the, the biggest market. And you can expect 10% in the US as a nominal return. Take off that in inflation, uh, should we say 2%. Mm -hmm. So that will get you at 8. So uh, 12 beats 8. However, what that doesn't take into account is the devaluation of our currency. So that's also a dynamic that sits in right. there. But the real re the returns of the US, 10% is, is a benchmark that, that we use historically going back long time, let's say 40 years, 50 years. Yeah. And that's 10% total, not real rate, or 10% is yeah, that's, real that's rate. That's what we would call that's the, that's the nominal return. So that yes. would be the share price growth and the dividend. And that would be the one that you compare to the 18% in South Africa. So, I mean, is it, is it a little bit surprising that the South African equity market has performed so well? And I say well because at the same time, there's some other very important benefits that come with investing in the Johannesburg Stock Exchange around liquidity, efficiencies, cost of getting in, cost of getting out. It's a very liquid, it's a very well-run uh, exchange as far as I know. It definitely is. It's from getting in and out point of view, especially if you're just a retail investor like us, and we're not talking about multi-million and multi-billion sized portfolios, which produce uh, other problems around liquidity. Getting in and out is not a problem. But I think that's 
even having a conversation around getting in and out is something that I would rather avoid because if you are trading in and out on a regular basis, that's just adding cost to your portfolio and it's eroding those returns. So I'm very reluctant to, to be doing that. Now, the professionals will say there's times when you can see that the market's going to come off and you should be taking money out of your portfolio and putting it into cash. Well, you need to be quite active and knowledgeable in the market to do that. And most of our audience are not in that space. Yeah, we, we're working. We're earning a living. We, we're doing our day jobs. So we, we want exposure to the market for as long as possible. That's what it is. So that's great, Justin. So, I mean, I feel very comfortable that we've covered some very important steps that, that, and some very important principles. So first of all, compounding is, is our friend. We want to reinvest dividends that we earn or our interest or whatever it is that we're earning. Uh, you've given us some insights into a highly efficient market, uh, the South African Stock Exchange, and, and how we can quite easily access that. And I think you've also convinced us that it's not our role to try and time the market, whether it's up or down, but it's our, it's our responsibility to spend time in the market. Yes, that's, that last point I think is, is very important, is you, you want to be exposed to the market for as long as possible and continually adding to the market, continually growing your portfolio through regular contributions. And those contributions come into the market in times when the market's fluctuating up and down and you get what the professionals call RAND cost averaging. In other words, your money is just spread over time into the market, which in essence reduces the risk of your exposure. Yeah, because sometimes I'm buying the asset at a premium and other times I'm maybe buying it at a discount. So, so, so even if the, so actually what you really want is you, want, you do want to have periods where the, the shares are underperforming because you're buying in technically. Yes. Um, at those better at those better prices, I, I get it. I get it. Okay, so I've got an action plan here. I've got to get myself a, a Satrix forty account, and I've got to choose one of the ETF products. And I suppose it's as simple as setting up some sort of regular payment instruction and putting some money so that I can start to to absorb this benefit of compound interest and being in the marketplace. What about yes. risk, Justin? I mean, when do we start to ask ourselves questions about riskiness. Is, is, is that something we should be thinking about? Well, yes, we should. Putting your money in the market, you are exposing it to risk. Now, what is that risk? Could you be investing in a company which could go bankrupt and you could lose everything? The answer is yes, you could. Although when you do it through a, an ETF like the Satrix 40, your portfolio or the portfolio of the Satrix 40 is exposed to the market in proportion to the size of the companies in that index. It turns out at the moment that the highest exposure, which is about 24%, is to a company called Naspas. And then it gets smaller and smaller based on the size of the businesses. And if these share prices of one of these companies over time is trending downwards and the market cap of that share or the value of that company is reducing, the ETF, the Satrix 40, naturally reduces the exposure to that company. So you, mm. you, it gets managed in a way that your exposure becomes less and less if a company is underperforming. If, however, a company like Steinhoff falls off the edge of a cliff overnight, well, that's, that's a risk. Now, as it turns out that it was a very small exposure in the Satrix 40, 
to Steinhoff, I think it was around about 2%. That certainly affected the, uh, the value. And those are the sorts of risks that you are exposed to when you, when you invest your money in, in some of these companies. And I would say Steinhoff's an outlier. I would not say that is the, the norm when you are talking about a Satrix 40 portfolio. So what is the risk? Well, I would ask the question differently. I would say, what is the risk of not doing it? What does that picture look like in 20 years time? Because maybe you put your money in your, call it your ABSA savings account, and you earned 5% if you were lucky, while inflation was 6%. Now, for me, that is the risk. In your ABSA account, you're not going to lose that money, but it's just going to become worthless as inflation kind of wreaks havoc against the, uh, against the cost of living. Let me introduce a broker to the conversation. I'm not literally, just figuratively. What you've educated me now to think about is, gosh, I really need to expect a hell of a lot more from a broker that's taking fees for doing what I could be doing myself. Is that a fair comment? Yes, I think so. Now, I think what a broker would say is, well, you know what, you need to, you need to balance your risk here. You need to have some cash in your portfolio. Maybe you need to have some government bonds in your portfolio because those are more stable if you want. Their value doesn't fluctuate. Government bonds produce for you, uh, let's call it 8% per annum if you're, if you're in a 20-year government bond, and that's a nice regular flow. And, and there's a lot of value in that. However, if you are... 20 in your young 20s, starting off in the workspace, you don't want to be in cash and government bonds. It's as simple as that. Now, there'll be conservative folk out there who'll say, oh, you need some, something in your portfolio that's just, that doesn't have that fluctuation. But if you add government bonds to your portfolio, those returns are going to come down very, very quickly because by the very nature of an 8% return in a government bond, you are reducing the performance of your portfolio. And often I see is that the broker is giving that advice. Now, that advice is very valuable for a 50-year-old, 55, 60-year-old. Once you're more senior and getting closer to retirement, you definitely want to protect your portfolio from any drawdowns in the market. So having government bonds and cash is super critical back there. You probably want to be 80% invested in those sorts of products as you get closer to retirement. But at 24, and even I'm at 45, I want none of those in my portfolio. So I've got 15 so years to go, so I want to, I want to get full returns. What I'm hearing here is that you can be in two phases of your financial quest. The one phase might be what I would call preservation. And there you want to be, you know, you don't really want to seek aggressive growth. So if you're kind of approaching that age where you, you need to be more conservative, so you want to preserve your, your investment, you're going to look at those less risky investments. But if you want to create wealth, if you want to actually be in the wealth creation mode, then you want to be taking on the volatility or risk that gives you those, those super returns. Because what's your friend is time. And we're coming back to time being your friend here. These things are going to even out over time. And you've proved that over 40 years, the average compound growth rate is around 18%. Is there not a sense that there's a double whammy here? So you're getting this advice which is conservative so your portfolio is going to perform at below 18 percent by default and at the same time your broker needs to be paid some he's creating cost both from the channel but also from the investment management team that's now going to actively manage this investment are we not getting a double whammy then so that's exactly what we're getting and that's specifically what you get 
when you are investing in a retirement annuity or a pension fund. There's there's a whole broker network, there's a asset manager, there's a pension fund manager, and these these folks have uh, have expenses. They have a huge cost structure that needs to be paid for, and though and that gets paid for out of fees that come out of your investment, and they need to be seen to be adding value. And being seen to be adding value often results in activity that actually doesn't grow your portfolio. So you have the effect of not being fully exposed to the market. That might be the one effect. Well, it is the one effect because in a retirement annuity, you are not allowed to be fully exposed to the market. And there's the effect of the fees. And the net result is your return expectation comes all the way down to round about 12, 12.5% versus the 18% that you could have got if you did it yourself. Let me qualify that. 18% in the Satrix, what we haven't done is we haven't taken the fees off that. And of course, the Satrix does charge you a fee. And this is the part of the story that I enjoy the most because that fee is 0.1%. So there's wow. the, the other beauty of using a Satrix type product is the fees are remarkably low. But as soon as you go into you know, retirement annuity products and pension funds, the fee amount can be between 2 and 2.5%, two and which is just completely debilitating. Wow. And at the same time, I'm exposed to a portfolio and I'm managing, my risk is kind of managing itself because of the portfolio effect of the basket that I've made my investment into. In the Satrix, it's the portfolio of those top 40 companies. Uh, in the pension fund or retirement annuity, that portfolio includes those bonds and cash and it might be some other property investments, property rates, etc. And funny enough, that portfolio effect in the RA has the effect of reducing the returns. You would expect lower risk from that portfolio, but then substantially lower returns. Justin, maybe in closing, are you, are you prepared to kind of give us some indication of, of what the lifetime value of this information looks like? I have uh, yeah, I've done the numbers. And as, as I spoke about earlier with, with uh, Megan and Kill the Cat, I would be able to share that data. And off the top of my head, I can tell you some very simple numbers that come out of that. We made some assumptions that if you buy a new kitty cat, it costs you a thousand rand. And if you invest 300 rand a month, which is what we estimated the, the cost of feeding a kitty cat on a monthly basis to be, invest 300 rand a month with a 10% increase per annum in that 300 rand a month, over 30 years, that amounts to 8.8 .8 million rand. Let's call that the opportunity cost of owning a cat over 30 years. In other words, you give this up for the sake of the love and joy of having a cat and feeding the cat, you give up 8.8 .8 million rand. Whereas if you invested that in your Satrix account, that could be a very feasible return. Wow. And what I ask my audience or my students most of the time is, can you find 300 rand a month? in your budget. You must be able to do that. And most people are like resoundingly answer that question. Yes, of course we can. And then my challenge is, well, if you can find 300, can you find a thousand? Because going to a thousand rand a month changes that return from 8.8 .8 million to in excess of 20 million over 30 years. And that's the my compound goodness. effect. It's material. Can't wait to share this, these calculations and spreadsheets and ideas in more detail, but I think for this podcast, it's really given us something to think about. 
So if I can add one action piece, and let's make it clear that we certainly are not sponsored by this company, so they're not paying us to say this, but I would say, go and do a little bit of research. Go to the Cetrix website and go and hunt around. Go and look at their products, go and look at their historical returns, go and read about ETFs versus, versus unit trusts. They do offer unit trust products, but I would suggest go and learn a bit about the Satrix 40 product. And no doubt some questions will come from that and, and we'll be able to answer them in detail right here on our podcast. Thank you.